But I want to start this morning by reading you part of a letter uh, that a 70-year-old father wrote to his son. Here we go. I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness. Though on a review of my life, I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all this, I am spared until now, and am still retained in his work, and trust I am received into the divine favor through him, through Jesus. Now, it seems like kind of a depressing letter for a father, a father to be writing his, his son. Um, if, you, if you hadn't heard that before, what sort of person do you think would, would write that letter? But is this somebody who struggled with their faith? Somebody who's always like trying to get it together, but they never can quite get it together? Somebody who probably hasn't really accomplished that much for God. These are actually the words of William Carey. Uh, William Carey was a man who went to India in 1793 and is considered to be the father of the modern day missionary movement. He was involved in translating all or part of the Bible in, into over 40 languages and dialects. Sounds like he did a few things. Why did, why, did, why did he write this letter? Was, was he just depressed? Uh, did he just have low self-esteem? Didn't, hadn't somebody told him, hey man, you've done some great things for God? Or was he just demonstrating the, the normal thoughts of a mature Christian believer? Uh, I'd argue that his words are actually a sign of honesty and maturity in the Christian life. And I think what we're going to read this morning is going to point us um, in that direction. So if you would, look at God's Word with me. Uh, we're going to read Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, and, and this is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. And um, I, I pray right now that you would open our hearts uh, to respond to it and that you'd help me to, to speak it clearly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's, there's three big questions I want us to, to think about this morning as we're looking at this text. Number one, what is a Christian? Uh, number two, how do I grow as a Christian? And number three, what would it look like for me to kind of get it? For me to really get the gospel, for the, for, the, for the light bulb to come on. Now, these probably seem like simple questions for us to ask. Uh, but this first question, especially, I think if you ask people, what is a Christian? They would probably say, well, you know, it's, it's just like any other religion. You, you pick a religious leader, and in the case of Christianity, it's Jesus, and you follow his teachings. You do the best you can to follow the, the straight and narrow path that your religion has placed before you. I think many people on the street would view Christianity in that way. Just try hard to follow your religious teacher. And honestly, many Christians probably look at it that way too. Well, that's just about trying to do the best I can to follow Jesus. But what this passage is going to show us is that Christianity is different. In fact, it's shockingly different from every other religion. So three questions. What is a Christian? How do I grow? And what is it like to really, what is it like when I really get this? Um, but before we answer those, I gotta, I gotta take a little bit longer than usual working through this and sort of setting this up so that you can, you can, you can understand these the answers of these questions. So let's talk about the setting here. Um, what's happening here in this in this scene? Uh, there's a man named Simon who invites Jesus over to his house for a meal. Now, we're not exactly sure, but it's very likely that he's just heard Jesus preach a sermon. And so he's having, he's having the preacher over for lunch. And maybe he wants to talk a little theology with him. And Jesus says, great, I'll come over. Now, usually in this day and age, if you invited somebody over to your house, when they came, uh, when, when the guests came in, they would take off their sandals and they would leave them by the door and the servant would come and wash their feet. You can imagine uh, dusty roads, sandals, feet were kind of nasty, so you'd have somebody come and, and, and wash their feet. Uh, in addition to washing their feet, if the guest was an equal, if, you're, if they were your equal socially, you would greet them with a kiss. Uh, in the case, if they were a teacher as Jesus was, you would, you would kiss their hand. So somebody who was your equal, you would kiss them on the cheek, uh, somebody who was a teacher, you would perhaps kiss their hand as a way of greeting them instead. It was also common uh, to welcome them into the setting by anointing their head with oil. But none of that happens. You notice that in the text, that none of that happens when Jesus comes in. Simon doesn't have anybody wash Jesus' feet. He doesn't give him a kiss of greeting, and he doesn't anoint his head with oil. Now, you may be saying, okay, well, great, that, uh, fine. 
uh, what's the big deal there? But imagine if I had just met you and, and met your family, and we invited you over for lunch. And when you got to our house, I didn't open the door for you. I just said, come on in. Uh, or I didn't shake your hand when you came in. Or I didn't offer to take your coat. Or we didn't offer you anything to drink. Or we didn't say, hey, sit down and stay a while. You, you would find that very rude. You would find that disrespectful. Well, that's how everyone in, in this room would have viewed what is happening as Jesus has walked in. Simon is being rude. He's being disrespectful. He's invited Jesus over as his guest, but he's not treating him as a guest. So we got Jesus who's here. Uh, we've also had some, uh, some invited guests there as well. And then there are also some uninvited guests. So you have the guests kind of gathered around this low table, and then you would have uninvited guests who would just kind of trickle in, and they would kind of stand on the walls around the room. So if you can imagine people, at this, they're reclining really at a very low table, and the people standing along the walls just to hear what the discussion uh, is going to be about. Uh, we're told in the text in verse 37 that one of the guests was a woman of the city who was a sinner. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, this has also been translated, uh, a woman who was a sinner in the city. In other words, most commentators think is what's happening here is this is actually a job description, that her job was being described. She's a sinner in the city, so there's a good chance uh, it's more than likely that she was a prostitute. That's what her occupation was. We know at least that she was a very questionable moral reputation, uh, that she was kind of sketchy in everybody's eyes. But look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We all know this. If Jesus was actually a prophet, he would know this as well. So we're all gathered for this meal. Jesus has come over. He hasn't been welcomed by Simon. And then there's this known sinner there, possibly a prostitute, someone who hung out in those parts of town that you don't want to go to. And she brings a flask of perfume, maybe one that's hung around her neck. This would be very valuable to her. And she's getting ready to anoint Jesus with the perfume when she begins to weep. And so she wets Jesus' feet with her tears, and she wipes them with her hair, uh, and she anoints them, and she kisses them and anoints them with perfume. Now, this would have been very shocking to everyone there uh, on many different levels. For one, because she had let her hair down. A woman never did that in the presence of a man in that culture unless it was her husband. Uh, in fact, he could actually file for divorce if she let her hair down in the presence of another man. And so everybody there is just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, what, you know, what, what, what is just happening here before us? What, she's, what, what has she done? Uh, she's, she's humbled herself. She's honored Jesus. She's offered him a very costly gift. Um, you, you've got you, to really think about this to appreciate what's happening here. All right, Jesus has been insulted. Simon was supposed to make sure that all of this was done. Uh, he refused to offer the kiss of greeting. He refused to have Jesus' feet washed. You know, if, if it was me or you, he might just say, well, fine, I'll just go eat lunch with somebody else. But Jesus remains quiet, and then this woman 
The most immoral woman in the room comes and she does what the host has failed to do. Now, at this point in the story, you might expect Simon to be like, oh man, like, I, I really blew this and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But what's going through his head instead? If this guy was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him and he wouldn't put up with this. Some kind of prophet, some kind of holy man, some kind of teacher. That's what Simon is thinking at this moment. And so Jesus takes his opportunity to say, all right, Simon, I want to tell you a story. And Simon says, fine. And so Jesus tells him this story about basically it's about two guys who owed the bank some money. And the first person owes the bank 500 days of wages. So think not quite a year and a half worth of wages. The next guy owes the bank 50 days wages. Neither of them can pay their bill. They both owe the bank money. Neither of them can pay their bill. And what does the banker do? The banker says, he just rips up the bill. He says, guy who owed me 500 days wages, you don't owe me anything. A guy who owed me 50 days wages, you don't owe me anything. I'm canceling the debt. I'm canceling both of your debts. You don't owe me anything. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, all right, Simon, which one of these two guys do you think will love the lender more? And Simon's not stupid. He says, well, the one who had the bigger debt canceled. All right, he's going he's gonna to love the banker more. So you kind of feel like at this point in the story, well, Simon answered, he passed the quiz, right? Jesus gave him a little pop quiz, and, and Simon does all right with it. But look at what happens next. Let's read this part again, verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, what's, what's the point of all this? Jesus wants Simon, the religious person, the Pharisee, this is the guy who's always going to church, he's going to Sunday school, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Jesus wants Simon to him, say to himself, that woman is not the only sinner at this party. That woman is not the only sinner at this party. That woman is not the only one who owes God a debt. I owe God a debt as well. I need forgiveness. And there's someone here who can forgive my sins. Uh, this is like you and me standing in a room. Say there's somebody in the, in the room that has Ebola. Uh, and we're saying, man, they're really sick. But I'm glad I took my vitamins and did my exercise, exercises and stayed out of places where you can catch diseases like that. I don't hang out with sick people. And there's a doctor in the room looking at you going, um, you know, your symptoms may be a little different, but I got bad news for you. You actually have the exact same disease as that person over in the corner. That's what Jesus is saying to Simon. He's saying, Simon, look, look at what this woman has done. She, she greeted me in the way that you refused to. This woman that you think is just worthless. You think she's nothing but an unclean sinner. 
And like she's come here and she's humbled herself and she has anointed my feet and she's kissed them. She, she's anointed me with, 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 with expensive perfume even. You know, you could have bought a gallon of olive oil at Sam's for a dollar and done this, but you refuse to do that. You refuse to spend the minimum amount, and she is offering you this, offering me this costly gift while you sit here and do nothing. Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because she loves me. It's because she loves me. She loves me because her sins have been forgiven. She loves me because the debt has been canceled. She, she realized that she owed a debt that she couldn't pay. But Simon, you weren't paying attention in church this morning, and she was. She heard the message. She heard what I've been saying day after day after day as I preached, and you still haven't gotten it. She heard me when I said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you heard that, Simon? She heard it, and she believed it. Jesus in this parable is, is driving home the point that forgiveness of sins leads to a loving response. And that much forgiveness leads to much love. Right? He's not saying, if you just love people a lot, you will somehow earn forgiveness. That would completely contradict the parable that Jesus just told. Think about the parable. Forgiveness of the debt comes first. And then this grateful response of love at the end. Notice the end of verse 47. He who has been forgiven little, well, what's the result of that? They love little. Forgiveness comes first, and then this response of love. Uh, the phrase at the beginning of verse 47, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much can also be translated, her many sins have been forgiven, therefore she loved much. Or the New English Bible says, her great love proves that her many sins have been forgiven. Why does she do all this? Why does, why does she bother to come to a place where she knows she's going to be looked down at? It, it's got to feel humiliating for her to even be there. I mean, if you were that sinner, if you were the sinner in town and everybody looked at you that way, would you walk into a congregation, walk into a room filled with righteous people, with religious people who you knew were going to be just be sitting there and judging you the entire time you were there? That's what she does. She walks into that room. Why does she do that? Because her sins have been forgiven. She's believed. She believes. She's buying what Jesus is selling. She believes what he is saying, that he will forgive her sins. She knew she was a sinner. She knew that God had a problem with her lifestyle. She knew she wasn't one of the good kids. She knew she was unclean. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and in the day in which the religious establishment was saying, get away from me, stay away from me, you are unclean, Jesus says, you're exactly the type of person I've come for. You're exactly the type of person I've come for. I've come for you. I've come to forgive your sins. 
I've come to clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself up first and then come in here. I've come to make you clean. This woman had heard the gospel. She had heard Jesus preach, and she believed it. She believed it so strongly that she followed him into a place where she knew she was going to be looked down on, where she knew she was going to be regarded as unclean. She could feel everybody looking at her while she was in that room. But she came so she could say to him, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making me clean. Thank you for paying my debt. And when she gets there, she, she's probably already overcome an amazement that Jesus would forgive her sins. And then she sees the one who's going to pay her debt being mistreated, being disrespected. And she's just overcome with emotion. And she rushes forward and she does what the host should have done and refuses to do. She welcomes Jesus. And at the end, Jesus turns to her and says, your faith, not your love, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is making a public announcement of what's already transpired. He wants her to know it and be assured of it. He wants everybody else there to hear it too. This woman's sins have been forgiven. I pronounce her clean. He's saying to her, look, it's okay if everybody in this room rejects you because your father accepts you. Now go in peace. What about Simon? What about Simon? Uh, Simon was a Pharisee. Uh, these guys were known as the separated ones. If the speed limit was 25, they set the cruise control on 15, and they told you you needed to do that too. Um, Simon came to church. He did his catechism. He went to summer camp. He did everything he was supposed to do. But he didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't realize that, that he was a sinner and that sin separated him from God. He didn't realize that he was somebody who had Ebola too, as it were. In fact, he thought his rule keeping could force God's hand. Could force God to accept him. But you see, Simon wasn't just an ungrateful host. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was hard-hearted. He was self-righteous. He was judgmental. All because he thought he was okay when he wasn't. I heard somebody say recently, you're going, you're going to be an angry, bitter, prideful narcissistic, miserable person until you begin to hate your own sin more than other sins. You're going to be an angry, prideful person until you begin to hate your own sin more than you hate the sin of others. Simon couldn't see his own sin, or if he did, he didn't think it was uh, amounted to much. And because of that, he didn't have any use for Jesus. He didn't realize he was sick, so he didn't need a doctor. This, this, I don't need what Jesus is offering because... I'm okay. Jesus' message of forgiveness didn't make any sense to him. This message is for other people. It's not for me. And so he has no use for Jesus, and he has no use for this woman because he hadn't experienced forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, Simon, you're right. She is a sinner. But she's repented, and I've forgiven her. 
don't you see that you're a sinner too? Now, I know that was a long setup. Let's answer our three questions, and I'm not going to take that long on these, but our three questions. What is a Christian? All right, thinking about this text, what is a Christian? Christianity is not just a moral system. It's not about your being good. It's not about your being religious. Simon was, was all of these things. Simon was moral. He was good. He was religious. Simon probably read the Bible more than anybody in this room. But he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't accepted by God. And his sins were going to be punishment. That's what loomed over him. We all have this spiritual sickness, this spiritual disease of the soul that the Bible calls sin. We all want to play God. We all want to make our own rules. We all want to do things our way. We want to decide what God is like. Uh, you often hear people use the phrase, that just doesn't fit my idea of what God is like, but God is not like this spiritual Play-Doh that we just get to mold into whatever we want him to be. He reveals himself to us in the pages of Scripture, in the Bible. He shows us that we are sinners and that that sin has consequences, that our rule-breaking has consequences, and that our main problem, although these things affect us, is not our lack of education or who our parents were or what we've been deprived of in this world. Our problem is that we've rebelled against the one who made us. We've rebelled against God. We're sinners. And that's everybody, whether you're a preacher or a prostitute, whether you're out cutting the grass right now or whether you're sitting here at Grace Presbyterian Church. But God sent his son, God sent Jesus to pay that debt that we owe, to take the punishment that we deserve. And Jesus comes and he says, come to me, and I'll make you clean. Come to me and I'll wash away your sins. Jesus says to the immoral woman, there is hope for you because I love sinners. And he says to Simon, Simon, there's actually hope for you too. But you need to realize you're a sinner first. Um, I think there are four categories we could actually fit into this morning with relation to this parable. Uh, some of us may be like this woman before she met Jesus. We think that we can find happiness by breaking the rules. Uh, we're tired of people telling us what to do, tired of parents telling us what to do, tired of preachers telling us what to do, tired of the, the, the Bible telling us what to do. And so we've just said, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to control my own life. I'm going to find pleasure by breaking the rules, by going to Mardi Gras and, and doing whatever it is I want to do. I want to suggest to you simply that the road you're traveling doesn't end where you want it to end. Uh, you're on the path of the, the first son, the first brother of the story of the prodigal son. Go read that perhaps. And that, that doesn't end like you want it to end. Uh, some of us are the immoral woman, but we've, we've realized that running away from God and, and trying to find life by breaking the rules, we've realized the pit of despair that that eventually leads to. And we get it. And we're starting to sense that Jesus would welcome us, but we're not quite sure yet. We're afraid to admit how bad we've messed up. We're afraid to come clean. We're not sure if other people will, will accept us, and we're not completely convinced that God will accept us. Listen, if that's you, you're exactly the type of person that Jesus came for. 
You're the exact type of person that Jesus came for. He came for people who wrecked the car. He came for people who are unclean. He came for people that think they don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't have to clean yourself up to make yourself presentable to Jesus. Jesus is the one who cleans you up and makes you presentable. Third group, some of us are Simon. Um, and this is a dangerous group to be in because this can look all right from the outside. But what we're doing is, instead of trying to control our lives by breaking the rules, we're trying to control our lives by keeping the rules. And we think if we do the right thing, then everything's going to be okay. And God's going to be obligated to bless me. God's going to make good things happen to me. We don't think we need Jesus because we don't think we're sick. Jesus came for all those bad people, and I'm not a bad person. And so we're not resting in God's love. We're not resting in his generosity. We're not resting in his wisdom and in his rule. But we're simply trying to get what we want by being religious, by being good. See, the, the, here's the thing with Pharisees, and, and this, is, this is us, if, if we're in this category. Pharisees don't really want a relationship with the Father. They just want the Father's things. And you can go and read the prodigal son, the older brother and the prodigal son. He didn't really want a relationship with his father. He just wanted the Father's stuff. He just wanted the Father to bless him. And in his mind, the way he got the Father to bless him was by jumping through hoops and doing what he was supposed to do. If you're in this camp, you don't really want the Father. You simply want him to do stuff for you. And as a result of that, Pharisees tend to be angry when they're not getting what they expected to get. Uh, you, you tend to be overly aware of other people's sin. Like you don't see yours that well, but you can see other people's sin very clearly. Self-righteous. And obedience is not joyful, but it's forced. You don't obey because you want to. You obey because you have to. Okay, I'll clean up. Okay, I'll do the dishes. Okay, I'll pick the kids up from school. Okay, I'll read my Bible. But you obey because you have to, not because you really want to. And then lastly, some of us are, are Simon, and we're starting to, to see we actually are sick. What's the answer? The answer for us is the same as the answer for the sinful woman is to run to Jesus and repent of our righteousness. To run to Jesus and repent of our righteousness. Um, when our kids were younger, they, they couldn't reach the sink to wash their hands. Uh, and, and Will will be glad I tell this. But, but Will used to, to come to me when he was very little and he would say, Daddy, you wash my hands. He couldn't do it himself. He couldn't quite reach the sink. So he said, Daddy, you wash my hands. He realizes he realized his need for cleansing. He realized he couldn't do it himself. But he realized there was some, someone who could. And that's the gospel. What's a Christian? It's somebody who's realized their need for cleansing. They realize they can't do it themselves. But they realize that there's someone who can and that's Jesus Christ. What about my second question? How can I grow as a Christian? Um, I can only scratch the surface of this, and, and we talk about this in the, in the inquirers class. 
But I think this helps us understand the basic dynamic of Christian growth. Matthew, Matthew 22, Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is, is what? It's to love God. And the second greatest commandment is to do what? To love our neighbor. So if you were looking for a real quick way to say, what does a growing Christian look like? You would say, well, it's somebody who loves God and who loves their neighbor. Well, looking at the passage we just read, what determines how much we love God and love our neighbor? It's how much we think we've been forgiven. It's how much we think we've been forgiven. Um, many of us, if you're a believer, many of us, when we became Christians, you, you probably had this idea, you had like these one or two big sins in your life that you were really frustrated with. Like, I gotta, I gotta quit doing that. And you develop this image of, of kind of you five years down the road or a year down the road. Like, I'm not gonna be doing those two sins anymore and I'm gonna be going to church regularly, I'm gonna be reading the Bible and I'm gonna be praying. Now, and, and then I will have arrived. All right, I'll be the person I'm supposed to be. Now, what happens over time? Either you're not very good at the, the Christian game and you flame out, you, you burn out and just say, forget all this. I'm tired of jumping through hoops. Or you become good at the game and you become very self-righteous. You become self-righteous because you're doing the right Christian activities. And you're listening to the right music. And hey, I do read my Bible every day. And I don't hang out with those bad people anymore. Or you become self-righteous because you're like, well, I understand the Bible much better than, than other people do. And you get this theological self-righteousness. And so you, you think you're getting better at Christianity because you're jumping through all the Christian hoops. You're doing the right things. But since we think we have it all together... We forget how sinful we really are. And when we forget how sinful we really are, we forget how much we need Jesus to forgive our sin. And when we forget how much we need Jesus to forgive our sin, we don't love him and we don't love other people. And slowly we become more and more like Simon the Pharisee. We say, well, how, how do I grow then? Well, we do make use of the means of grace. We do read our Bibles. We do come to church. What should be happening over the course of our Christian life is this. As, as, as you come in here week after week, you ought to be getting more and more this sense of, man, God's a lot more holy than I thought he was. Like, I thought he was like this holy, but he's like off the charts kind of holy. And you also ought to, you also ought to be getting this sense of, I'm a lot more of a sinner than I thought I was, which is one reason we confess our sins every week. Like, I thought I had those two things I was struggling with, but man, I got a, I got a lot of other junk going on as well. I thought my problem was, was stealing, but I realized that I just like to keep everything for myself, and I'm not generous at all. I got a much deeper problem. I thought my problem was my lustful thoughts, but my real problem is I just don't love other people. And I'm just kind of selfish, and I want to use other people. It's, it's not just about these rules. That, it, it's that I want everything to revolve around me. And the more you realize all that, the more you see that Jesus didn't just forgive a, a communion cup full of sin, but he came to forgive an ocean's worth 
of sin. An ocean's worth of sin. He didn't just pay a $50 debt. He paid a $50 million debt by dying for me because he loved me. And the more you realize that, the more you see what he's actually forgiven. The more you see how much he gave for you, how much he loved you, the more you're going to love him. And the more you're going to love other people. And the more holy, paradoxically, you're actually going to become. Uh, there will be times when, as you're seeing all this, you feel like you're kind of going in the wrong direction. It'll feel like you're becoming more sinful. But the reality is you're growing in grace, you're growing in holiness, and you're growing in your love for God and your neighbor. Much like 70-year-old William Carey, you're just honest about who you are now. But you see that Jesus loves you and forgives you. Now, last thing, I'll be really quick. What does it look like when you get all this? What does it look like when you get all this? I think it makes you humble. It makes you humble. It makes you honest about your sin. Uh, it makes it easier for you to repent and trust Jesus every day. Somebody who understands the gospel won't necessarily be a person who makes a lot of rah-rah noise for Jesus. It won't necessarily be a person who can give you a, a tight theological explanation of every passage in the Bible. But they will be growing in the awareness of their own sin and growing in their awareness of how much Jesus loves them. And because you get that, because you understand that, you'll then be growing in your love for Jesus. And, and, and what all that means is you won't be ruled as much by your own desires anymore. You'll be ruled more and more by Jesus. You won't be ruled as much by what people think about you anymore. Because their opinion won't matter to you as much. Because Jesus is the one who has forgiven your debt. And you can walk into a room and say, everybody here may reject me, but I know Jesus accepts me. And I'm okay with that. You'll be able to do costly, bold, and even humiliating things because you understand the gospel. Because you love Jesus and understand how much he loves you. Do you get it? Do you get it? Are you, are you starting to get the gospel? Are you here this morning because you're religious? And it's what religious people do. Are you here this morning because you love Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, we would get some sense of all of this, uh, that we would get a sense um, of our sin if we don't realize that, that you would help us to sense it. Father, if, if we're somebody that just can't imagine that Jesus would love and welcome us, help us to see his welcome here of, of this immoral woman. Uh, and Father, I, I pray that over the course of our Christian lives, we would really grow in this that we would see the great debt that has been forgiven us and that would cause us to be people uh, who love much. Father, you change our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.